Hear these words. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a man is an idolater. None of them have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such thing, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you all were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, be with your word as it goes out today. Lord, I pray that the word we hear this morning would not be my words, but I pray that they would be yours. Use me. Lord, as a musician plays a trumpet, use me. Lord, no one praises the trumpet or the sound that's produced. They, pl- they praise the one who is blowing the trumpet. And I pray that this morning it would be the same with your word and my voice. I pray that when we leave here today, you would be glorified because of my words this morning. Speak to us with your holy scriptures. Encourage hearts that need to be encouraged this morning. Convict hearts that need to be convicted. And fill us all with a greater love for you because of the cross of Jesus Christ, because of the redemption that we have from our sins. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. You all may be seated. Perhaps we should start with some condolences for those of you who are Michigan State fans. Did anyone stay up last night and watch that basketball game? Garnet did, Betty did. A couple of you. I was, I was in bed. I, it's too late for me. I have a screaming baby. I can't afford to waste sleep on basketball games. It doesn't work like that. So my condolences to you, Michigan State fans. I, um, 
I wish that we had had a, a Michigan Michigan State Final Four. That would have been that would have been something. But alas, Texas Tech versus Virginia is going to be fun. Anyway, so we have been going through the book of Ephesians. We've actually been doing this. If you think about it, we've been doing this for a long time, right? So we started this, I think, the second week of January, the second Sunday. Somewhere in there, it was cold, there was snow on the ground, it's now April, we've got Easter coming up, we've been doing this for a long time. So we're at the point when we, when we review, when we look back on what we've already done, it takes a little bit. So it's important now more than ever that we stop and examine where we've been so that we can know where we are. Because if we don't do that, if we don't review where we are, it can be tempting to think that this list of commands that we're going to look at, right, this list of you should do this and you shouldn't do this, are just all that there is to the Christian life. That all it means to be Christian is to show up to church and to not have sexual immorality and be kind to your neighbor. But that's not true. You can go to other churches. You can go to other faiths. You can go to just a random person on the street and say, hey, should I do these things? And they would say, no, of course you shouldn't do these things. You should be kind to your neighbor. You don't have to come to church to hear that message. But we do have to come to church, a church that preaches the Bible, to hear what it is truly that God has done for us. In Ephesians 1, we looked at what God has done throughout human history, God's plan for the world. Because Adam and Eve broke creation when they sinned. It doesn't work like it's supposed to anymore. Because of their sin, Death passed on all of us because all of us have sinned. So God, from before the foundations of the world, came up with a plan to redeem everything, to fill everything up, to sum everything up, that's the wording in Ephesians 1, in Christ. He will be the head of everything. He will be responsible for fixing everything. And we look forward to the day when this world as we know it ends, that everything is fixed. The way in which God does that in time, right, while we are here and now, is by making a people for himself. Right? God's people today are not the Jewish people, it's not the Gentiles, but he has merged us into one people. This is the central message of Ephesians. We are one people together, unified, not by any kind of cultural identity, not because we're all, you know, descended from German people or we're all you know, ethnically Jewish, or we're all white Republicans. No, 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 none of that. We are all united in one body because we have faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians 2 is about. We all were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were all in need of being saved. It's not enough that God just forgives our sins and says, hey, try again. He is the one who makes us new people. He's building us up in this body of Christ, in this group of believers, the church, he's building us up to be his holy people who will on the final day be perfect and entire. And so it's because of all of this, because of all of these things, that we get these commands. We are, as Ephesians 4 describes, a body that's supposed to build each other up into maturity. So we're supposed to be united to each other. We're supposed to encourage 
one another. We're supposed to build each other up in our spiritual lives. It is our responsibility. As you look around the room, as you see faces of people in this room, it is not just my responsibility as the pastor to build up the body of Christ. It's our responsibility to encourage all of the people in this room and the people who aren't here. It's our responsibility to make sure that we get to that final day where everyone is mature in Christ. Because of that, we have all of these commands. Don't lose sight of the fact that it is God who is at work in us to accomplish these things. But even as God is at work within us, we are commanded, we are encouraged to live a certain way. Ephesians 2 talks about this. Ephesians 2 says that we used to walk in the ways of the world. We used to do wicked things. We used to live wickedly. But now, because we have been changed by Jesus Christ, we are to live in a new way. We don't walk in the old path anymore. We walk on a new path. We don't walk in the ways of bitterness and anger and resentment We walk in the ways of love. That's what we learned last week, right? We walk in the ways of love. We love as Christ loved us. Apologies to this side of the room. You guys are the ways of darkness. You guys are the ways of light. It just, somebody had to be the ways of darkness. So I picked the one where where Stan is. It It was Stan. I'm just kidding, Stan. I love you. There's a couple phrases this morning in our text that, that mirror that phrase, walk in the way of love. Depending on the translation, the translation that we read says, live in this way. The, the actual word there in Greek is walk. It's kind of a metaphorical path that you walk down. So depending on your translation, it might say walk or it might say live. But we are called as Christians to live in the way, not just of love, but we're supposed to walk down the path of light not the path of darkness, but the path of light. We are supposed to walk down the path not of foolishness, but we are supposed to walk down the path of wisdom. Our lives are supposed to be characterized by people that have been made new. We are not who we once were. We should live differently. The text says at the end of Ephesians 5, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Make the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Now I want to make a quick note on this before we actually dive into the content of the sermon. It can be tempting as, you know, people of our demographic to think that the days being evil means that the Bible got taken out of the public schools 50 years ago, and it was everything was fine before then, and now everything's just kind of collapsed, and it's kind of going its own way. Let me push back on that. That's, that's, that's not the entire story. The days are evil because Adam and Eve sinned. And we as a culture, as a society, yes, issues of, of sex, issues of gender, our society has a much worse moral grasp on them than we did 100 years ago. But if you look at issues like race, environmentalism, we have a much better grasp on those than we did. What we've done is we've traded sins. We haven't gotten any better or any worse. Our problem 
is that we are sinful people descended from Adam and Eve. So the, what we need is not some legislation that's going to bring us back to God. No, we need to be a community of believers, as described in Ephesians, who are made new. We are to be the people of the new creation that God is making, the people that God is fixing. So on that final day, when everything is made new, we together stand complete and entire. The days are evil. So we can't live as we used to live. We have to live as a people who have been made new. I wanted to take a little bit different, um, a little bit of a different approach in this sermon this morning. So last, last week, if you remember, and you can go back and listen to this online if you want to. Last week, we looked at some individual ways, some very specific ways that the text lays out that we can love each other. Right? Don't tell lies to each other. Tell the truth. Don't get angry with each other. Right? Don't let your anger explode, but be quick to reconcile our anger with each other. We could do that again today, but I wanted to take a little bit different of attack because of a couple verses in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse number 10. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Think about that for a second. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I'm reading from the ESV. That's the NIV. It's the same thing. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse number 15. Look then carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Do not be foolish, verse 17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If Paul here commands us to try to find out what is on the path of light, the path of wisdom, not the path of darkness or the path of foolishness, that means something. That means it's not always obvious what is light and what is darkness. If we have that command to try to find out this is right, this is wrong, how do we do that? What sorts of things should we as Christians use to figure out whether something is good or whether something is evil? Remember when I was, um, when I was a teenager, when I was growing up, it was a big thing to try to have to discern what God's will was for your life, right? When you're, when you're 16, when you're 17, you have to figure out where God wants you to go to college, or that was, that was the mentality that we had. And in our mentality, and growing up in a Christian school, in a, in a conservative Christian church, there was one college out there that God had for us, and if we went to the wrong college, then you know everything was, everything was blown up and we were out of God's will for our life. Because there was one college, and God had one person for us to marry, right? And you know, because we were good conservative Christians, we were probably called to the mission field, and there was one country where we were supposed to go to. And if I wound up going to the wrong Christian college and marrying the wrong Christian girl who loves Jesus and going to the wrong country to be a missionary, then somehow we were outside of the will of God. That's, that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that there's one path for each one of us to follow. I am saying that there are some things that are wise and there are some things that are foolish. It may or may not be wise to go to a Christian college depending on, depending on what, you're, what you're trying to do. It's always wise to marry a Christian person, someone who loves Jesus, someone who's going to encourage you in your faith. It's usually a pretty good thing to devote your life to Christian service, but not, not all the time. You don't have to do that. But as we try to make choices, 
in our lives, as we try to determine what is right, what is wrong, what is wise, what is foolish, should we give that extra 1% to 2% to a nonprofit agency, or should we use it to spend time with our children or grandchildren? What is right? What is wrong? Should we spend time volunteering with an agency, or should we not? What is right? What is wrong? What is wise? What is foolish? As we try to make these decisions in our lives, I want to give you kind of four principles from Ephesians 5 that we can walk through, that we can see what is right, what is wrong, what is wise, what is foolish. The first one, I hope, is obvious, and that is we can look at what Scripture says. So just to read Ephesians 5.3, it says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Paul here, just he, he names these things. He's like, this is, these are very clearly unwise things. These are very clearly things that are of darkness, sexual immorality, covetousness. And the Ephesians, when they're, when they're hearing this letter read to them in their church, there wasn't one of them, well, maybe there were a couple, but most of them who knew their Bibles weren't saying in themselves, wait, sexual immorality is wrong? It's wrong to cheat on my spouse? It's wrong to covet and be envious and jealous of other people's things? Most people knew this. And the reason they knew this is because it's in the Old Testament. God had already made it clear in his word. So if there's some debate about what is right and what is wrong, the first thing that we need to do is check what God says. See, we believe that God has not abandoned us in our sin. God could have done that, right? Adam and Eve sins, and he just kind of shuts off heaven and never reveals himself to us at all, never speaks to us at all, but God hasn't done that. He's given us a book He's shown us what his will is. He has reached out to us. We are not a people like the ancient pagans who would wonder why it wasn't raining on their crops. They would say, oh, is God mad? What did we do? Did we do something wrong? Is God just arbitrarily mad at us? And they would have to guess, and they'd have to try to figure out, and they would try to make sacrifices, and they would try to do all these things to try to guess what the favor of the gods was. We don't have to guess. We know what God's will is for us. We can read scripture. We can read the Ten Commandments. We can see that adultery is wrong. We can see that theft is wrong. We can see that murder is wrong. We don't have to guess about these things. And while it's true that the Bible isn't an exhaustive rule book, that's not what it is primarily, the Bible is primarily... a It's a story of how God reaches out and makes a people for himself. And while it's true that the Bible does not have an exhaustive list of everything that is right or wrong, it covers most of the basis. So if you're trying to figure out, is something of the light, is something of the darkness, read the word. Try to figure out what it says. This means something. If scripture is our guide, first and foremost, if scripture is truly our final authority, which we believe that it is, we should be students of scripture. Paul talks in Galatians chapter 5. Paul looks in Galatians chapter, 
might not be Galatians 5. Paul talks in Galatians, I'm sorry. He says that if anyone shows up to you and preaches a gospel that is contrary to the one that I have preached to you, he says, if I show up in a few years and I tell you something contradictory to Scripture, if he says, if an angel shows up to you, imagine that. An angel just appears on the platform and says, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to preach to you this other gospel, something that's different than what Paul has taught to you. Paul says, kick them out of the church. Don't listen to a word that they say. So what that means, if I, if I, your pastor, show up to you and teach you something that is against this book, Fire me. Get rid of me. Because this book and this book alone should be our final authority, which means that we need to be people who know this book. Read it. Study it. Love it. Let it guide your life. Follow it. This needs to be your first stop. And this is one in a list of four things But this should be the main thing. Study the word of God to see what it says. Next thing. There are things that scripture is unclear about. There are things that are debated in scripture. It's not most things. Most things are clear. But if there's something that maybe is not clear in scripture, maybe it's something that just scripture doesn't address, we should look at what the church says. We should look at what other Christians say. What does the church say? Now, this this should not be our first stop, and I want to emphasize that. But God has given the church authority to interpret what is in the Scriptures. If you don't believe me, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Verse number 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. It's the church's job. It is our job to name things that are shameful and name things that are of the light. It's our responsibility to shine the light on false doctrine, to shine light on false teaching, to clarify the scriptures. We're given an example of this, actually. In Acts chapter 15, Uh, It's one of my favorite go-to passages of the Bible. Acts chapter 15, there was a debate about what salvation was for Gentile people in the book of Acts. So when when Jesus first came and he first ascended into heaven after his death and resurrection, when the gospel went out to people and they started believing in Jesus Christ as their Lord, primarily at first that was a Jewish thing. Right? Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, and it was primarily Jewish people that believed on him. But it, at some point, it kind of jumped across the road like, a, like a, you know, a forest fire does. It jumps across to the Gentiles. Acts 8, Acts 10, the gospel goes to the Ethiopian eunuch. The gospel goes to Cornelius. He was a soldier in the Roman army. The gospel starts going to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles start, they start speaking in tongues. They start healing people. All of these miraculous gifts that had been going along with the expansion of the gospel, they started doing. And the church was kind of bewildered by this. They didn't think at first that the gospel going out was going to be a Gentile thing. They thought it was just a Jewish thing. 
But Gentiles started clearly becoming saved, clearly confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord, and clearly being filled with the Spirit. So there was a debate. What do we do with these Gentiles? And we've already looked at how this debate ends, so I don't want to dive into the debate itself. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about this. If you, want to, if you want to rehash of it, go read Ephesians 2. Go back and listen to that sermon if you want to. But there was a debate. Do the Gentiles need to become Jewish? Do they have to circumcise themselves? Do they have to start keeping you know, the Sabbath day as the Jewish people would? Do they have to become Jewish in order to be saved? That was the question. And so all of the elders in the city of Jerusalem, it was the first presbytery meeting recorded in the Bible, all of the elders from that area, they get together and they confer with one another. And they say, what do we do about this? They prayed together. They sought God's wisdom on this. And ultimately, they came to a conclusion. They said, no, Gentiles don't have to become Jewish in order to be saved. It was the church who got together, the elders of the church who got together and clarified what the scriptures said. Now, I, I don't want you to be under the impression that they could have picked something else and it would have been just as correct. That's, that's not the case. They were guided by the Holy Spirit in this. But God has given the church the responsibility to clarify what good doctrine is and name what bad doctrine is. Right? We as a church, we follow the Westminster Confession of Faith. Now, the Westminster Confession, because we're Presbyterians, we believe this. That's, that's not the Bible. But I believe wholeheartedly that it clarifies and summarizes what the Bible says. It's something that the church has affirmed for a long, long time. We believe this is what Scripture says. And so if, if you're wondering whether something is wise, whether something is foolish, if you're wondering whether something is of the light or something is of the darkness, and you read Scripture and you study Scripture, and you're not quite sure what Scripture says on it, look at what the church says. Look at what, what the church has said for thousands of years on the subject. History is filled with, with brilliant theologians who have studied the Word of God more deeply than I will ever study it, more deeply than any of us will ever study it. What do they say? Who are those trusted Christian voices today? People who believe in the word of God, people who, who hold it high and preach from it, what do they have to say about the issue? Do they have some wisdom to impart about this thing that we're trying to discern, whether it's of light or whether it's of darkness? Is there a trusted Christian friend, brother or sister, perhaps even sitting in this room that you could ask, what should we do about this? Now, I want to be clear. And I could, we could go into a whole history lesson about what the Reformation was and the, the debate between the Roman Catholic Church and Martin Luther about where Scripture and the church stack up. But Scripture always wins. If the Presbyterian Church at any point comes out with something that's against the Bible, go to a different church. This is what wins. But if this is unclear, if there's debate, look to see what the church says about it. It should be the second stop. Third stop. What is its fruit? Does it bring about that which is good? 
Verse number nine of Ephesians five. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. There, there needs to be a really big caveat before we dive into this one. Our tendency as sinful human beings is to look at the results of something alone and decide whether or not it's good or whether or not it's bad. And the scripture says our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. So as we're trying to discern things ourselves, sometimes we come to the wrong conclusion. You'll hear this. You'll hear this phrase tossed about when when people are looking at sexual matters today, right? There's this giant debate about about what's okay, what scripture actually says about sexual matters. But people will say, this just, it feels right. So we're just going to do it. Right? How can something, how can something be wrong that feels so right? You guys, you guys have heard this before? You guys have heard this phrase? And our heart tells us something. Our heart always wants to confirm what is sinful in us. So I want to be really careful when making this point. I'm going to maybe, maybe use more time to exercise caution over this point than I'm actually going to make it. But our first stop should always be Scripture. Our second stop should always be the church. It's then and only then that we can look at the fruit of something. Let me give you an example that I, I, think, will be, I think will be safe. There is a debate amongst Christians, amongst Christian denominations, even within our own denomination, about how a Christian should celebrate the Sabbath. So in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they were commanded to keep the Sabbath day holy. They couldn't work. They couldn't do anything on Saturdays. And Jewish people today will still observe that. From Friday, Friday night when the sun goes down to Saturday night when the sun goes down, they don't do any work, turn off all their electronics. The, the Orthodox ones, they walk to the synagogue. They observe the Sabbath. But the question for a lot of Christians today is what does that mean for us, there are some Christians within our tradition who say, hey, you're not allowed to have any kind of recreation on, the sun- on Sunday because the Sabbath has been transferred to Sunday. They'll say you can't go home and you know, you're not supposed to watch football on Sunday afternoon. You're not supposed to take a walk on Sunday afternoon. You can't do any of those things. Any kind of work, anything like that is off limits. I grew up really, really similarly to that. When I was looking for a job in high school, my parents said, hey, you can't miss church at all, and you can't work on a Sunday at all. It doesn't matter if, you know, like we, didn't, we had church on Sunday morning and Sunday night, but it didn't matter if, you know, I went to work in the afternoon and then came home on Sunday night. I, I wasn't allowed to do that because I was working on Sunday. I don't, I don't share that opinion. The point I'm trying to make is that good Christians will disagree on this. What does the Sabbath mean for us today? Some people will say, no work, no recreation, Sunday is for God. Other Christians will say, Christ has set us free from the law, so we can gather and celebrate with him on Sundays, but we can go on and we can, we can go home after church on Sunday and enjoy time with family and friends as we, as we celebrate what God has done for us. There's debate about this. But when we examine the fruit of something. What are its results? I think that we can use this, this lens, the third one, to see whether or not something is wise. Because you can claim, you can claim that I've been set free from the law, I can work seven days a week, I can just go, 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 I don't need to take a day off, I can just, you know, go pedal to the metal seven days a week, 
all my life, but what's going to happen? Setting aside any, anything what Scripture says, and it doesn't absolve you from studying Scripture to find out what Scripture says. But setting that aside, if you look at the results of that, you're going to get burnt out. In a few years, you're going to look at the relationships that you've spent with your family, with your friends. You're going to realize that you prioritized work over things that are more important, and you're going to regret it. Right? I, I'm a pastor. I, uh, I, I don't have the luxury of taking Sunday off. I'm at work right now. Right? This, is, this is, as much as we're worshiping God, right, I, I'm going to go home and I'm going to take a nap and I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to have earned it because this is work for me. So my day off, I usually take Fridays off. And there's exceptions to that. Good Friday is an exception to that. I'm going to show up and we're going to pray together and I'm looking forward to that. But I take Fridays off because if I don't take Fridays off for my family, for my wife, for my son, I know that I'm going to get burnt out. I look at the fruit of what is good, what is bad, and I've concluded that it is the right thing for me to do. It's wise to take a day off, even if that's not Sunday, even if I feel as if, or I'm convinced from Scripture that, you know, Christ has summarized the law and I'm not under that commandment anymore. It is the wise thing to do, to take a Sabbath. So we look at three things so far. We've got scripture. That needs to be our first stop, our last stop. We need to study scripture. That's the big one. Never skip past what scripture says. Second, we should look at what the church says. Right? What do wise people in church history among us today, what do they have to say about something? Never make decisions alone. Always loop someone in on it. Third, we can look at what is its fruit what results does it have? And fourth and finally, and this is not, not least, but last, what does the Holy Spirit say? Verse number 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Paul uses the illustration of drunkenness here. And I'm, I'm not going to get into, you know, what the details of whether or not Scripture says drinking alcohol is a sin. I'm, that's, that's, not, that's not the point of what I'm trying to say. But when you drink alcohol, when you take drugs, when you do anything like that, it controls you. Right? We've, if we haven't, you know, woken up the next day after drinking, we've heard someone wake up the next day after drinking and say, and I'm sorry I said that last night. That wasn't me. You guys ever hear anything like that? Right? That wasn't me. That was the alcohol talking. That wasn't me. That was the drugs. You hear that. Because alcohol and drugs, they take control of our bodies. They control us. So what Paul's trying to say here is that just as alcohol controls the drunkard, let you and yourselves be controlled by the Holy Spirit. I have, a, uh, I have a cousin who has adopted a number of kids from foster care. Uh, and a number of these kids have had really, really difficult lives. And they, because, because of their difficult lives, sometimes they have behavior issues. One of, one of my cousin's daughters is about five years old, has significant behavioral issues. She's only five significant behavioral issues, goes to public school. 
Because of these behavioral issues, she will get into a lot of altercations with other kids. One day, she got into it with, with a classmate, or another classmate was, was antagonizing her. But instead of responding as she normally did, she resisted. She had some self-control. And when the principal finally got together and, and talked to her and the other, the other kid about this, he asked, he said, why didn't you respond like you normally respond? You normally get angry. You normally, you know, push back and punch back. Do you know what she said? The Holy Spirit told me not to. Little girl, five years old, tough childhood. The Holy Spirit told me not to. This is a public school. When my cousin, you know, when, when, um, when she was hearing this report from the principal, the principal related this to her and he said, you know, our school would be a lot better of a place if everyone listened to the Holy Spirit. That's still small voice that's inside of you. But Christians, as we walk with God, as we are a part of this body that is built up into Christian maturity by the Holy Spirit, he is the one who is at work in us, remember, to make us a mature body of believers. As he works in us, as we commune with God, as we read God's word for us, as we spend time with God in prayer, there's going to be an alignment of our hearts, with our hearts, of what God wants for us. As we know him, we will learn what pleases him and what displeases him. As we commune with him, we will know what his voice sounds like more and more every day. So as we're trying to discern what is light, what is darkness, what is good, what is evil, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, again, don't skip past what Scripture says. Don't skip past what the church says. Look at what the results of it or the fruit of it are. But what does the Holy Spirit say? Have you prayed about it? Have you looked inward at what the Spirit is testifying to your heart? Does it agree with that decision? Does it disagree? It's because of these four things together. That as we're trying to discern what God's will is, as we're trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, we can use these four things. Read scripture. Look at what other Christians have said. Look at its fruit. And finally, listen to the Holy Spirit to try to discern what is good, what is wise, what is foolish, what is not. And as we look at these four things, may God use these in our lives as we seek to grow up into Christian maturity. May he use them in our lives. Will you pray with me?